Thanks, guys. I mentioned uh, during the prayer time that Brooke uh, lost her father. Um, he passed away Tuesday morning. And um, Jim was, uh, I believe, 70 years old. I believe it, it might have been 73, but he was young. His, his wife, Teresa, actually, I mean, you'd almost think she was a church member because there, she's here quite a bit. And um, so, so you know, I mean, Brooke, uh, Buddy, preached his grandfather's funeral uh, Wednesday a week ago. And then um, I preached my grandmother's funeral on that Saturday, and then her mom died on Tuesday. So it's, it's been, a, it's been a, uh, just an a interesting season, uh, I would definitely say, and uh, with both of our grandparents, that of somewhat of joy. Uh, they both walked Christian lives and lived full lives, uh, but but know that Brooke is mourning and be, um, be in prayer for them and their family. Uh, the, the funeral is, is tomorrow, um, and Buddy will be the one preaching it. And I think this is, this is Buddy's first funeral that he's ever done, so be praying for them uh, tomorrow. Um, my grandmother's funeral was not the first funeral that I had ever done. I've done quite a few of them. And as a matter of fact, 17 years ago, I did her husband's funeral, 2005. And uh, both of their funerals, both of them lived incredibly godly lives. And so in recounting their lives and thinking through, through different things with my, my dad's side of the family, uh, man, a lot, of, a lot of kind of that family history is, has been on my mind. And I mentioned this in my grandmother's funeral, the night before... My grandfather's funeral. I was, I believe, a freshman in Bible college. And I drove down from Bible college as a freshman to go preach his funeral. And it, it wasn't actually, even though I was a freshman in college, it wasn't the first funeral that I had preached. But it was probably top, in, in the first four or so. And, and I remember the night before in my grandmother's uh, little house in the mountains of Murphy, North Carolina, I was sitting around the room with aunts and uncles, and my, my dad at that point was already deceased, he'd already died, but of those six that were there, five uncles and one aunt, we were having a spiritual conversation, and not one single one of them believed that the Bible was true or accurate, that Jesus rose from the dead, none of it, not, not any of it. And we were, it was, you know, here I am, and they're way older than me, and I, with all due respect uh, of an aunt and uncle mourning, uh, you know, mourning their father, I, I'm trying to have a spiritual conversation. I'll never forget my grandmother who, who went to bed at 8 o'clock every night on the dime. As soon as Jeopardy was over, she'd go to bed. She sticks her head out of the door and goes, I just want y'all to know I agree with him, and I'm praying for y'all. And she shuts the door and goes back in the room. And the truth was, my, my grandmother was praying for them and their salvation. She had been for years. One of my uncles there, his name was Tommy, and uh, Tommy was, was uh, just a say this politely as I can, a leftover hippie. And he still thought it was 1970-something. And um, he, he just, he, li he lived like that kind of life. And he was a rock climber and a caver and just traveled all over, um, all over the country in, in, in Canada um, climbing. And he was just like, like van life now. He was like van life then, then but high as a kite. 
And he, he had gotten caught growing uh, marijuana on National Forest. And he went to jail. And he got out on bond. And when he was out on bond, he decided to run. U.S. Marshals found him several years later in Canada. And they brought him back. He went to jail. Uh, while in jail, he had a, a brain tumor. Shortly after my dad, my dad died of a brain tumor, he had a brain tumor. And he got transferred to a medical facility. They removed the tumor. They did chemo, and he was out. And so this is like one of the first time that the family had seen him, was sitting in this living room at my grandfather's funeral, and we're all there. And we're talking about worldview. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about the gospel. And he, he comes and starts saying, I, I think you're wrong. I think life is like the yin and the yang. And he really starts breaking, uh, breaking out this real like Eastern idea of religion. That in everyone, there is uh, part of them that is good and there's part of them that bad. And so some people, they're, they're uh, really bad with a little bit of good. And other people, they're really good with a little bit of bad. And he's like going through this worldview. He's talking himself in circles. And everybody in the room like, gets, starts getting frustrated at him. And I, I don't know, I wasn't frustrated at him. But they started getting frustrated at him. I just remember that, I remember that moment. I remember my uncle. And then I remember 10 years later when I saw him again. He was a different man. He was a different man all the way around. And you know why, right? Because my grandmother's prayers were answered. And he placed his faith and trust in Christ. And he repented of his way of life. And God just totally took his life and turned it upside down. Now, he's still, he's still a crazy uncle. I'm not saying Lord didn't like make, gave him a new life, didn't make him not crazy. He was still a crazy uncle. But he was a saved crazy uncle. And I, I, I think back to that experience. And, and man, he, he, he became faithful in church. He became uh, faithful in reading the scriptures and memorizing the scriptures. And he even like wrote this little booklet about salvation and the doctrine of salvation that I read and I was like this is actually this is actually good this actually makes sense I mean the Lord just turned his life upside down and then he died and went to be with Jesus as we look at this this series a new way of life I, I want you to see that this is a reality it's a reality that the Lord when he saves you he changes you. What God works in your heart works out of you. It looks different for everybody, but often it is a radical different way of life than the world. And so here's what we've learned in this series so far. We started this series on Easter, and we were in the, actually going to be in the exact same text that we are today, but I focus more on just the resurrection and how the resurrection changes everything. So our big truth for week one was this. When we meet the risen Lord Jesus, it transforms us to live a new way of life. And this is, this is exactly what the text says. We're going to read it in a second, but that, that, this, that, that we get this new life in Christ. And then Buddy last week, who just covered this little bitty section of text, Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 5, and he did it in podcast 2.0 speed, um, that way you could get through it. Uh, this was his, his big truth. Walking in a new way of life is impossible without a deep understanding of the old way of life. 
And so, so you have to have a deep understanding of the old way of life and what you're walking in before God changes you to a, a new way of life. And he essentially summed up Romans uh, chapters 1 through 5 for us. So here's our big truth today that I want us to walk away with. This is what I want us to understand today. In order, it's, it's, so it's not just understanding. This is what you need to understand. It's not have, just understanding. Just, having a deep understanding of the old way of life, that in order to walk in a new way of life, we must repent of the old way of life. It's not just understanding, it's repenting of it. Now, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 6, but we're, we're actually going to, it's on the same page, so it works, but we're going to be back in Romans 5, starting in verse 18, and we're just going to use that to sum up Romans 1 through 5 in Buddy's sermon last week. And then into Romans 6. I'll also, for those of you who are turning along in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2. So Colossians chapter 2, we're actually going to spend, Jed read it to open us up this morning, but we're going to spend a decent amount of time in that text. So in Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this, this really sets up where we are in Romans chapter 6 that, and, and, and helps us with the summation of what Buddy preached last week. Because Adam sinned by that one man's disobedience, all were made sinners. But also by one man's obedience... Many will be made righteous. That one man's obedience is Christ. That Christ came to die on the cross for our sins. Now, we bring up the law. The law in the Old Testament. The 610 um, uh, laws or rules that can be summed up in the Ten Commandments. It came to increase the trespass. It showed us. It's the, the mirror in which shows us that we fall short of the glory of God. Um, it, it showed us the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us. This is the, the good news of the, the gospel, that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that as, as sin reigned in death, grace also must reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Christ's righteousness is imputed it's, it's given to, it's put on those who repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in him. It's, in, it's given to those who believe in him. And so this is where we find here, we're in the middle of this, this glorious good news of the gospel. Is that when sin uh, uh, increased, grace abounded all the more. That the more we are made aware of our trespasses, uh, the more we see uh, the forgiveness that we have in 
Christ Jesus. Now remember, we've talked about a few things. We've talked about legalism and antinomianism. Legalism being trying to keep the law in order to earn salvation. It's very much salvation by works, that being one ditch. And the other ditch being antinomianism, that we can just do whatever we want uh, because we have grace to cover it. And so here's where we're diving in, again in verse 1. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Over and over and over last night, I kept waking up. And I was waking up and I would say this sentence to myself. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He asked this question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace by man? By no means. I mean, this is, this is not, if you walk away from the book of Romans going, grace covers all of our sin, and it does, therefore let's keep sinning, you've missed the point. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, I asked that question, and surely you think, well, man, I... I'm a sinner. I struggle with sin. I, I sinned this week. I sinned yesterday. I sinned this morning. Yeah, you did. Me too. Right? Here's what I want to show you. Christians do not live in sin. They repent of it. They do not live in sin. They repent of it. And I want to show you the nuance of, of what I'm, I'm saying here. Remember... Christians are, 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 are sinners. That's, that's, that, is the, that is the claim that we're making in Romans uh, chapter 3, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not even one. Like, we are, we are fallen. We are, we are not perfect. But he says, live in it. This idea of living in it means that sin is your way of life. It means that you are given over to it. And so Christians, Christians, like if you're sitting here today and you're saying, man, I, I sin. Man, that, that, that's, a, that's a big confession because those who live in it typically claim that what they're doing is not sin. Right? There, there's the distinction. The distinction is, no, I'm doing this and it's okay. Here's my justification of why I do it. And as the Christian, we should, we should look at the things that we do, and we, we call, often call this conviction. We feel conviction that what we're doing is wrong, therefore we repent of it. We turn from it. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We don't live in it. We re repent of it. We turn from it. I'm going to talk a little bit more about what repentance means, but the idea that, that sin is okay is not okay with us. That's the first thing. We ought to say, no, there is a moral standard of right and wrong in the world. And God is the one who decided what that moral standard was. I don't get to choose my own moral standard. Someone else doesn't get to choose their own moral standard. God is the one who controls it. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. 
if we look at the context in the, in the audience of many of the people that they were writing to, there's, there's, look, I promise you, the Gentiles and the Romans were going to look at this one way, and the Jewish readers of the time were going to look at it another. The Jewish people of the day, and the Pharisees of the day, were very much going, going to read this and have a hard time with the law and all the things that they've done right and the laws that they've kept and working at that, keeping those laws as their salvation. Where the, the Greek audience... Um, they were Hellenistic. The, the, the Greek audience was all about the party. I mean, it was like the ancient definition of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like, it's where we, we get it from, right? I mean, man, Caesar was wild. That's, we, that's what we know, right? So they're going to they're gonna look at it different. No matter which, which world they came from, repentance was still required. And, and in one world, the world would, at the time, and in our world today, will convince us that it's okay to live in your sin. I mean, this, this is Satan's scheme from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. What did he say? Did, did God really say? Did he really say? And so what we do is we take sin and we say it's not really sin. If it's fun, how could it be wrong? Something this fun, how could something this fun be so wrong? How can you, this is love. How can you call love wrong? Right? We, we've, we've done this, uh, especially around in our culture, in our time, in this moment. I mean, so much is around sexuality, and it's being forced to say, if you say that sin, you're, you're a bigot, you're, 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 a, hater, you're a hater, it's hatred in your, your heart, where we look and go, no, it's, it's the world trying to convince us, did God really say? Go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2. There's so much in the book of Colossians, that, that especially in chapters 2 and 3, that shows us kind of this theme. And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be, we're going we're gonna to read in Colossians quite a bit over the coming weeks. Um, I, I'm, I had to show some patience today not to go ahead and get into 3, because I wanted to get into 3, but I need 3 later. So we're just going to be in 2. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So I, I, love, I love those verses that show us, like, hey, this is the way, this is what it means to walk in a newness of life. It's what, it's, it's what you received in Christ Jesus. It's the way his walk, look, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. And so, so much of what I want to teach in this sermon series is how did Jesus walk? How does his life look and how should our life look like his life? Like the positive attributes. But, but I just want to show you, like, you can't walk in a new way of life without repenting of the old way of life. You, you, can't, you can't do it. You have to understand what, what that looks like. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so, as a Christian, you have to look at the things that, that are being proclaimed by the world and taught by the world, forced on you by the world, and go, okay, what about my worldview and the way I perceive what is right and wrong is something that the Bible taught me or it's something that the world taught me? I'm going, to, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this 
unequivocally, I believe that abortion is murder, and I believe that murder is sin. Okay? Unequivocally. But I believe there's a whole segment of people in America who believe abortion is wrong because a political party told them it was wrong. And abortion, a whole segment of people in the world who believe abortion is right because a political party told them it was right. There's no discerning of the philosophy and empty deceit that's coming and whose motive is behind it. Now, I am, I am going to put uh, my efforts into the abolition of abortion, obviously, because I believe it is, is, is murder. But my whole point is we ought to have no one take us captive by philosophy or a way of deceit that's not coming from the word. It's not coming from human traditions or elemental spirits of the world. Now, there's a lot of application here that's just a, a, a real common one for our day. So, this is part of repentance. Repentance is knowing, knowing what's right and what's wrong, knowing what's sin and what's not. It says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him. You've been filled with a Holy Spirit. Christ has given us the Holy Spirit uh, to give us wisdom, to guide us, to comfort us. He's the head of, of all rule and all authority. And so when we, when we say, okay, our, our, our view of right and wrong, our view of what's sin and what's not sin, where should it come from? You know, there's often in, in ministry, as we've talked about sin, particularly that of homosexuality with, with students and, and, and people that I've loved, and we get to why is this not good? Why is this sin? The pushback always comes to Culture gets to determine what is right and wrong. Culture gets to determine what is sin and what isn't. And that's like the easiest argument to refute. So I'm going, okay, it's the year 1801, right? Is slavery right or is it wrong, right? Oh, it was wrong, okay. In 1752, was it right or wrong? Like if at some point, culture said it was right. At some point, culture said it was wrong. Culture is not the one that got to decide whether it was right or wrong. That's true of all truth. Culture doesn't get to decide it. It's the one who has authority, the head of rule of our, all authority. And he says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So, circumcision shows us what repentance looks like. Remember, Christians do not live in sin, they repent of it. And he uses this example. In him, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And so, circumcision is the cutting off of the, the foreskin. It is the cutting off. He paints this picture of repentance. It is cutting off the ways of the world. Repentance is putting to death what is earthly in you. I said I wasn't going to go to chapter 3. That came out of chapter 3. It's, it's putting to death what is earthly in you. It is, it is killing sin. It is, it is dying to it. It is putting it off. And so that's what the believer does. They don't live in sin. They don't live by it. They repent of it. It does not mean that they do not sin. It does not mean that they never fail. It does not it doesn't not mean that they don't stumble. It means they don't willingly wallow in it, claiming that it's right. 
I lost my temper yesterday. I don't get to look at, look, look at that time where I lost my temper and justify it. I look at it and go, no, it was sin. Does it doesn't matter why I lost my temper. It matters that I should not have lost my temper. I should have had self-control, right? You, you don't get to excuse your, your way out of it. You put it to death. And putting those things to death, what's worldly in you, putting it to death, that's what makes you look different. It's, it's literally changing wardrobes. It's taking off one and putting on another. Repentance is turning from. That's the literal, literal term. It is heading one direction and you stop and you make an about face, a military term, and you go the other direction. You are going the way of the world. You're doing what the, the world says is right. And you turn from that. Verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Here's my next big idea that I want to show you. We're going to have to dig a little bit on this one. But repentance is an act of faith. Repentance is an act of faith. Back into Colossians. Verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which, you, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So, when we believe the gospel, we're believing the very center of the gospel, the thing that the whole gospel hinges on, is with, did Jesus rise from the dead on the third day or didn't he? Right? That's, that's the thing. And that's the thing we believe. That's what made him God. That, that the very thing that it, that it centers on is that on the third day, Jesus was dead. Rigor mortis had already set in. His body was starting to decay and stink. And the Lord, in his miraculous power, made his brain start working, his uh, heart start beating, his skin cells uh, regenerate, and Jesus got up from the dead and he walked out of the grave. And so, th this, is, this is what this, that, that our faith hinges on is that act. But he says, you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. The same, the same faith that says, okay, Jesus was raised from the dead is the same faith that says, okay, if Jesus was raised from the dead, there's a better life. There's a, there's a new life. There's a new life offered in Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. We're, we're, saying, we're saying Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I once lived in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God. We're saying, I am dying to myself. I'm dying to my old way of life. That's repentance. It's dying of it. It's putting it off. And that is the picture in which baptism presents when we go into the tomb. That you, when you confess that Jesus is Lord, you're repenting of calling anything else Lord. When you say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, you're repenting of it. I want you to think for a second, um, Jesus and the rich young ruler. 
Jesus meets the rich young ruler, and we, we, we know that he's rich, we know that he's young, and we know that he's a ruler. We know that he's got this full life ahead of him, we know he's got all these things. And it's very quickly we can see what, the, what, what his lords are, what his false gods are. And what does he tell them to do but to leave that life behind? To die to that life, to, to sell everything you have and give it to the poor, to, to walk away from it. it, it it's a picture very much of leaving the, the old way of life. That you're repenting of the ways of the world and you're being buried with Jesus in baptism. It is through faith and it happens by the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And the same power that, that God used to raise his son from the dead, he gives us to crucify ourselves and our sinful desires and our sinful nature and to walk away from it. Walking away from your old way of life is hard. It's, it's a decision that you have, you, you, you have to make. You, you're going to sit there and you're going, okay, this is how I've lived my life. These are the things that have made me comfortable. These are the, these are the things that I've clung to, and I'm no longer claiming them. I'm going to walk away from them. I've... I'll never forget a conversation I had with this young man named Umed from Tajikistan who was an international student. And over the course of several months, we shared the gospel with him, a group of friends and I. We shared the gospel. We loved him. We did all sorts of stuff with him. And he basically said, I, I can't walk away from Islam. It would cost me too much. It would cost me too much. It would cost me my family. It would cost me this. It would cost me that. It, it would cost me my future. It would cost me my inheritance. It would cost me too much. He sat there in that moment and had to make a decision. Do I call Jesus Lord or do I not? And he chose not. Just a few months ago, I was in Africa. I was in Malawi. And... One of the main things that, that I, the missionary there told me just to press into what I was teaching was the fact that, that, in, in or, that like, these pastors need to call their people to repent of, of witchcraft and to not live in witchcraft, not to revert to witchcraft. Uh, Bobby Williams and I had this conversation recently about how, how hard it is to, for, for people to walk away from whatever worldview or religion that they've clung to, to follow Jesus and not walk back into it, not fall back into it. That's why I was just saying, repentance is an act of faith. You have to believe God when he says that those who he's baptized into Christ Jesus, he's going to raise into death. You've got to believe that there's a better life on the other side of repentance. That's what you have to believe, that the very things that God says no to, and he says you should not do, he says them for not only his glory, it is for his glory, but it is also for your good, and that life is better on the other side. C.S. Lewis has this famous illustration, and it's this, this famous quote. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're too easily pleased. And so... Here is the beautiful picture that is painted, that whatever it is, whatever mud pie that you're sitting there making in the slum, you turn down the holiday at sea, the vacation at sea, because you do not realize what there is that's being offered. You remain in the muck and the mire when repenting and running to it is the better thing. Listen, there are people in the room whose old way of life was steeped in legalism. Trying to do what's right. Trying to earn God's favor. Look a certain way. Dress a certain way. Read the Bible a certain way. Go to church a certain number of times a week. Your salvation you were trying to earn. And it's easy to fall back into that old way of life. But we repent of that old way of life. And we say that our salvation is by grace alone. Through faith alone and Christ alone. There's other people in the room that you are in the muck and mire of um, some sort of worldly desires. That looks more like a Hellenistic uh, more, more like you're just going all in and enjoy the world because all the world is. And you need to repent from that. And in, in your faith and in your walk, not to return to that, not to return to the, to the muck and the mire. There may be somebody in the room who's, who's clung to a false religion and you've converted from that. Don't go back to the false religion. Verse 4. Since we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. And so here's the next big idea. Just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will raise those from the dead that repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Jesus. If you want a new way of life, you first got to repent of the old one. You've got to die to the old one, and he will raise you up into a new way of life. Back into Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your heart, but God made us alive together with him, having forgive us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with, us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus took our sin. He took our shame. He took our guilt. We were by nature children of wrath. We were dead in our trespasses. But for those who repent, who turn from their sin and place their faith and trust in Christ... God is faithful to cancel that debt. Nailing it to the cross. And so today, I just call us to repentance. Today, if you've never repented of your, your, your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus, do so today. What he has to offer is better. It's a better way of life. It's not just a new way of life. It's a better way of life. It's a fulfilling way of life. It's a joyful, way, uh, f joyful, fulfilling way of life. 
It is not of a worldly comfort, but of a heavenly comfort. Though we may have worldly sorrow and worldly pain, we will be comforted by the heavenly Father. I'm going to go ahead and ask the, the band to come back up and sing. Maybe you're a Christian here today. We're going to talk about this fight of sin, and this is like coming next week. We're going to talk about fighting sin, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. We're going to talk about how to do that. But today may be a day of repentance, a day of which you say, hey, I've struggled with this thing. I don't want to live in this thing. I want to follow Christ. We're going to sing a song, and here's the first words of it. It says this, alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. So today, alone in your sorrow and dead in our sin, let's repent of sin and find the hope that only Jesus could have made a way for. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. It's true. May it be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. May we abide by it. May we heed it. May we understand it. Lord, may we repent today. Lord, grant repentance today. Grant salvation today. For the believer in the room, Lord, give them a resoluteness to follow you today. To to constantly cry out, you are Lord. To take up their cross daily. Meaning repent daily and follow you daily. Lord, move and work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing a song of response.